Uh, welcome to the KSB Live. This is Friday, December 14th uh, here at the KSB Studios Holiday. I'll introduce my guest is Heidi Zimmerman, uh, Principal Auditor yes. with, uh, with the, the Legislative Post Audit Division. Uh, we're here today to talk specifically about your most recent audit related to special elections, but uh, uh, I really thought we could get started maybe with you giving our viewers a little background on the role of the Legislative Post Audit Division and, sure. and kind of what it serves, if you could. Sure. Well, we are the, le- the audit arm of the Kansas Legislature. Uh, We work under a committee, which is the Legislative Post Audit Committee, not surprisingly. Uh, They are a 10-member committee, bipartisan, some legislative or some House and some Senate. Um, And they pretty much, uh, they direct our work in terms of they tell us what they want us to look at. So um, there's a process where legislators can request an audit. That committee then can approve or disprove audits, and uh, then we just go out and do a kind of answer whatever questions they've tasked us with asking, with answering. Very cool. And I will say, uh, side note, that's kind of an, always an interesting process. It seems like every April, I think, usually in like your April mm-hmm. or March meeting, you come and there's a list of 40, 50, 60 yeah, different audit requests, yeah. and you guys schedule, what, six, maybe, to, six to nine a year? Six or so. April's the big meeting um, or the, the big requesting kind of point. And in the last few years, we've had kind of between like 40 and 60 requests, and they will choose maybe six or so in that meeting. And then over the course of the year, they typically will approve a few more. Um, so in the end, we might do 10 or 12. But at that meeting, um, they get presented with a very long list, and they can only pick a handful of them. So that the process is, is very interesting, yes. Very much so. And it's important to talk about, a lot of times people, especially in the education field, you think of an audit as like a year-end financial audit. And while that's part of what comes underneath LPAs, a big focus is, is a performance audit where you're looking more operationally or how are things being executed that have been assigned or tasked by the legislature? Are things working the way you're intending? Right. We we. Uh, we do have a financial, we, do, we don't do the financial audits, we oversee a private contractor who does the financial audits. So mostly what we do in our office is performance audits and IT audits. Um, but the performance audits usually focus on something like compliance, has an agency you know, acted in accordance with law, or how is something working, is it effective? Um, we used to do a lot of efficiency audits, so is, is this entity um, operating efficiently? We don't seem to do quite as many of those lately. Um, but really, any, anything, the, anything a legislator wants to know about how something is working, um, they, can, they can task us with that. Very good. So we're here today to talk specifically about an audit that was just released yesterday at, yes. the, at the December meeting uh, related to education. I guess to give some background, in, in 2017, SB 19, the school bill funding bill, and then last year again in SB 423, the school funding bill, uh, a series of audits is scheduled that has to that, – that is – I get, and I, I shouldn't say has to take place because ultimately the legislative post audit committee has to sign off on it. But it, they say that each year an audit is supposed to happen. Last year your audit performance audit was on the transportation, transportation. funding. This year it's on special education, mm-hmm. and 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 we kind of had three different things that that have come up. You ask questions. So tell us about the three questions that we asked. Let's start with the first question and, and, and give us kind of the highlights for what you found for the special education audit. So it, it did come out of. Um, last year's uh, school finance bill. Um, there, there is a kind of a, an order to them and special ed was up, was up next. So this one had three questions, so it was kind of a, a bigger audit. Uh, the first question had to do with how much does special education cost in the state? So how much does it cost to, um, for all the school districts and their locals and co-ops to provide special education and related services to the 
about 86,000 kids in the state who get those services. So that was the first question, and really that was kind of the primary question. That was the thing everybody really wanted to know. There were a couple of other questions. Um, there was a question on what, how um, how the department allocates and or allocates and calculates the um, the funding formula for special education, and then there was a question on other states as well. Kind of what did other states do? Uh, for the first question, though, like I said, that was that was the big one. That was the one really people were were interested in, and for that one, we uh, we created a model to help us estimate uh, how much it it costs uh, the special education organizations to provide special education services. And we chose nine organizations to help us out, and we went out and visited them and asked for data from them. We hired a consultant because we aren't really special education experts per se, so we did hire someone who has over 45 years of experience in the state. He was very helpful to us. Um, we reviewed professional literature and that kind of thing as well. And in the end, kind of came up with a model that, that said, we think it costs between $940 million and $1.2 billion to provide special education services in the state. Um, that we, we did a range. We, in fact, we set out to do a range. Uh, special education is kind of a, an interesting ball of wax and that schools have to provide whatever services the, 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 the students need. And there's a really wide range of services the student needs. Um, so on one end, you might have kids who just have some speech difficulties. They need a little speech therapy, maybe for just a couple years. And then you have other kids who um, may be very severely autistic and need significant support in the classroom. Um, so we knew that we needed to create a range and not a single number. And so those ranges kind of um, assume different things. So on the lower end, we assume kind of kids are a little more moderate on the whole in terms of their disabilities and would need kind of a moderate amount of services. On that high end, that end, we, uh, we assumed that kids would be much more severe, um, have much more severe needs, and therefore need many more services and thus cost more. Uh, in reality, it's probably somewhere in between. Um, the kids are kind of, there's a mix of kids, so we think it's probably somewhere uh, in between those two amounts. But um, it, was, it was a very interesting audit. The organizations that we chose to help us uh, were of great help, and we really appreciated, appreciated them um, coming alongside us and talking to us and providing us a lot of information. So, um, so that was kind of where we, we ended up with, with question one. Great. Let me, sure. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about that and some of the findings you had there. When you talk about the nine organizations, I think it's important probably to delineate. Most of our members know. Uh, special ed could be uh, provided by by a district, mm -hmm. so you you probably work with some specific districts to provide in-house special education. We we chose uh, three school districts that provide their special education services in-house. We chose three cooperatives and three interlocals as well to make sure that we got some good coverage in terms of all the options that school districts could choose to provide special education. Uh, we also choose those nine with a an eye towards getting some variety in terms of size. So we have, of course, which is in there. They're the biggest one, mm -hmm. all the way down to tiny little Silver Lake, who I think had about 100 kids in special ed. Um, we also wanted some geographical um, kind of variety as well, so we made sure we got kind of across the state and we didn't get too concentrated on the eastern side of the state. So uh, typically when we pick districts or entities to help us out, uh, we, we try to get some variety. So. Great. And, and, and so this first question was specifically about the cost of providing services. It wasn't necessarily about how much is being spent currently, but this is to provide the services as required by law. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what the post-audit division felt would be the appropriate range, I guess, to be that that would be an expected and justified 
justifiable cost. Is that kind of a way to, yeah. to say somewhere in that range would yeah. be would make something, sense? Something in there. Um, of course, there is a big difference between uh, expenditures and costs. Of mm-hmm. course, expenditures are what what districts actually spent to provide services. Expenditures often have constraints, though, like uh, funding or their ability to hire teachers. So um, sometimes expenditures can come in a little less. Sometimes expenditures can come in a little more than costs if if the organization is not spending very efficiently. Um, but then costs are kind of what it costs. If you didn't have all the constraints of funding and staff and all these other things that are all that are always constraining co- or constraining expenditures, if you didn't have those things, what would we expect? this to cost for all these organizations to provide all of these all of the services that those students are, are need to have so in effect if 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 come august of every year every job opening for a special education teacher and or para or somebody related to special education could be qualified and mm-hmm. filled the the expected cost range would be that 940 to 1.2 billion dollars yes if you could get uh, all of those positions filled uh, plus probably add some uh, I think our, our model does uh, increase the number of teachers and it increases the number of related service staff so that's your occupational therapists physical therapists our model does decrease the number Number of paras, though, uh, we found that uh, literature and the people we talked to also strongly uh, supported the notion of more teachers and fewer paras. That that's often a better arrangement. Um, we found that districts do tend to lean pretty heavily on their paras, so we did make some some changes there. But if you could hire, if you could find a teacher or a related service staff to fill all of those seats, um, so everything that's that's necessary, uh, we would expect a cost that's probably somewhere between 940 and 1.2 billion. Okay. Um, so question number two, then let's go ahead and move to that one and where that led the conversation. So question number two, uh, for those of you who remember last year, uh, we, had a, we had a very similar question last year in the transportation audit. Um, so we did this again this year. It was basically just a way to, to check um, is the calculation being done according to state law and then is the distribution of special education funding being done in accordance with state law as well. So this actually kind of had a, a two-pronged approach. One was looking at the Department of Education because they set the calculation and they distribute the money. Um, and then also looking at the legislature because it's the legislature's job to allocate the money. So we kind of looked at, you know, how, how does the departments, you know, set that calculation? Do they follow the law when they uh, set that calculation? And generally the answer was yes. We did find a little thing with some estimation. But um, on the whole, the statute says do it this way, and we found that they did uh, do it that way. Uh, we also looked at how they distributed funding, kind of same thing. There's four different, way, four different um, kind of distribution methods for special education funding. We looked at what the law says. How does the law say you need to distribute these things and checked? And again, they were, they were distributing them in the way we would expect them to do so if they're in alignment with law. Uh, the, the third piece, though, was that allocation piece. And so we looked at, is the legislature uh, allocating the money that they are statutorily uh, supposed to be allocating? And the answer there was no. Um, I don't think anyone was really surprised by this finding. Um, we certainly weren't, and pretty much everyone we talked to uh, knew in advance that this was the case. So the law says uh, 92% of, st- of excess costs is what the state should be spending, so what the legislature should allocate. And we're finding in the last few years it's been between about 78% and 81%. So it's, it's definitely falling short of that, that statutorily required 92 
Now, we talk a little bit about, and, and your focus was mainly on state investment and state dollars from the right. state of Kansas. Obviously, there's federal support that comes in with IDA funding on the Fed level, too. Um, they also have a similar threshold that says that it's recommended they funded a, a certain level since the 70s. That number's never been met. Right. D- uh, does, the, does the underfunding at the level shift some of that burden onto the state as well? If So I guess my question to you would be, if the Fed's funded at the 40% level they're supposed to instead of, and I think you said that in Kansas it may be as low as 12% right yeah, now? Yeah, I think uh, Dale Dennis from Department said it might be 16%. Um, so I would say somewhere between 12 and 16, depending on how you calculate it. Yeah. But it's certainly well short of 40%. And so that that extra 20% gap from the feds then is mm-hmm. picked up both from the state and, and then from the local districts? Is that kind of yeah. how it works? Given the formula that we currently have, if the federal government was putting in more money, so closer to that 40% or even just more money, even if it didn't get to the 40%, what would happen is that would reduce the excess costs. So you take the expenditures and you back out a bunch of things. One of those things is the federal IDA dollars. So if there's more money there, uh, the excess cost is going to drop. You take that excess cost times 92%, and that's what the state is supposed to allocate. So um, if the federal government sent us more money, then there would potentially be less responsibility on the state because that excess cost, 92% of excess costs would fall. Okay. Good, good to know. Good to know. Uh, and, and so, like you said, pretty much everybody has known, and, and it, it's a conversation. This past year, the legislature did allocate additional resources to special mm-hmm. ed for the current fiscal year, but, but still that level. And then, and then you went to the, the last question, which is kind of more of a global, and you bring some inside outside. Talk a little bit about that. So question three, and we did a similar question for transportation as well. I think legislators always have a little bit of an interest in understanding what do other states do. Um, not just for comparison purposes, but also for ideas. Um, so if we know a little bit about what other states do, sometimes that gives us some thoughts on how we might do things differently or do things better. So um, they, I think they tend to like us adding this question to it. So for this one, we, we chose five states. We looked at five states to just see how do they allocate, how do they calculate special education funding, and then what mechanisms do they use to distribute that money out to the, out to the school districts. And the bottom line is... There's lots of variation. Um, Nebraska has a system that's a little like ours in terms of having a notion of excess costs and funding the excess costs. Um, But the other states we looked at did not have that same notion. Uh, A lot of them used kind of a a weighting, which we use weightings in our formula, uh, not in special education, but in our regular K-12 ed formula. And they were doing a lot of that. So they were... um, providing a weighting for every child in special education or providing a higher weighting for kids with significant disabilities and lower weightings for kids with less significant disabilities. Um, so, and, and those weightings kind of looked different from state to state. They weren't all doing it exactly the same way. Uh, but we definitely see a lot of, I think anytime we look at other states in education, we tend to see a fair amount of variety in how districts uh, set up their systems to fund education. And, and as you looked at that, there wasn't necessarily it didn't seem in your recommendations that you had found that any state has a has a method that that looked to be significantly better or improved over what Kansas is doing or yeah in this particular case we weren't really asked to evaluate okay. systems it was more just kind of reporting providing information um, you know it's 
in some ways it's very difficult to evaluate other, other states and to determine wh what is better or worse. Um, occasionally there are systems that you can just look at and think, oh, that's, that's really terrible, <laughs> or wow, that's a huge improvement. But for the most part, there's strengths and weaknesses to, to all of those systems, and it's a matter of which set of strengths do you want and which set of weaknesses can you live with. And so it's very hard to say that one is necessarily a lot better than the other. Good point. So, and then traditionally at the end of, of many of your audits, you may have some recommendations, mm -hmm. not always, but some recommendations that the legislature may want to look at. And you had, once again, a couple recommendations couple. here. Talk a little bit about those and, and kind of how you came to those recommendations. For this audit, we, we just had uh, two recommendations. Some audits have, uh, have a bunch in this particular one. We just had two. And again, Kind of unusually, they were both directed towards the legislature. We didn't have any recommendations directed towards the Department of Education this time. Uh, for the legislature, we, we had two things. One had to do with that little kind of issue with um, how the department is calculating expenditures in the formula. So we didn't necessarily consider what the department was doing, that estimate, to be a problem. It was more informational. So our our recommendation to the legislature was just for them to consider whether or not they felt like what the Department of Education was doing kind of met their legislative intent. Um, if it is, they don't need to do anything. If it's if it's not, then we you know recommended they consider giving the department a little more guidance so they so that they can kind of do what the legislature's intent there is. Um, the second one, and, and this is probably the bigger one, which was uh, we recommended to them to e essentially to you know either. Get in alignment with state statute. Um, state statute says 92%, so one option would be for them to get in alignment with that statute um, and fund it at that level. The legislature, of course, always has an option to change the law, and so um, that is another option for them. If there is another way uh, that they feel is better or more meets their preference for how to set special education funding, then we, we recommended that they consider changing the law so that they can, uh, I think the point here is don't be out of alignment with the law. So uh, either get in alignment with what, what's there or make a change. Um, and be in alignment with that. So. Yeah. Good nonpartisan recommendation. I'd say we probably prefer Part A of that recommendation <laughs> versus Part B, but but uh, but we understand that. It, I think it's it's the one thing I thought when I read that was it's intriguing because ultimately that's post audit saying our job is to make sure people are following and right. and ultimately legislature you have to follow your statutes as well or you mm -hmm. should uh, in the same way we expect other agencies yeah. to do the same. You know, as legislative staff and as auditors, we kind of view our job as our job is to provide information, um, accurate, unbiased information to, in some situations, provide suggestions or thoughts on how things could be done. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, we typically don't think of it as our job to set policy. We are unelected staff, and it's the job of elected policymakers to set policy. And so that's kind of where some of those types of recommendations come from, is it's not our job to tell the legislature what to spend or um, or how they should decide, des, design a system to determine what to spend. So um, we gave them some information on what their responsibilities are and where they're at right now, and then it's it's up to them to decide what to what to do with that with that information. Good. Any any final broad takeaways that you had? You know, being the the principal auditor on this audit, uh, as you looked, was there any any final thoughts you thought you'd share with our members and and listeners at home? Um, you know, I think the the thing that we took away, and I think the thing that we were a little bit surprised by was just the degree to which uh, districts and co-ops and locals are really struggling to find staff. 
we know there's been a teacher shortage for a number of years. Um, we weren't surprised to hear that part, but seeing some of those vacancies in those special ed um, departments, especially in an area where school districts don't have options, they have to provide the service. This isn't like regular education where you can say, well, we don't have a teacher, so maybe we can't. Maybe we can't teach Spanish this year, you know. Um, special education doesn't have that option. Um, they must do it. They must provide every service that's in that child's IEPs. And so um, seeing a lot of those, those vacancies and hearing some of those struggles to get that staff was, um, was a, little, uh, a little alarming. On the other hand, they're coming up with some very creative ways to get, to, uh, to get those services and lots of online things um, as well. So um, some of the innovation there was also kind of interesting to, to see how they were uh, finding ways to, to still, you know, meet you know, meet the needs of the students that they're required to, to meet. So, all in all, it was a very interesting audit. I know I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, the school districts that helped us out were uh, were all very very patient with us. Good, good. Um, and as we kind of mentioned at the top of the of the show, we uh, there it's a there's a schedule. That, mm-hmm. and I, th- I want to say it's like maybe six or seven or five <laughs> or six that are that are scheduled out one every year. It started out I think with nine, so one one audit every year for I believe nine years. That was in Senate Bill 19. Then last year they changed it up. And I think we're now down to maybe seven years, six or seven years. They did. I think they took a few things off our off our plate. Right on. But the next one is uh, at risk. That assumes it does not get reordered again. Uh, special education was not actually in the original list, so it came in last. It was a it's actually a surprise to us last year when all of a sudden we realized they had shoved a special ed audit in there. Um, for right now, though, we are expecting uh, at risk. Uh, we haven't designed uh, the questions yet for it because we're, we're waiting to make sure it will, in fact, be at risk. But um, we think that's next up. Great. And that kind of leads me to my final question is, is we've seen these audits many times over the years, and, and I, I get the opportunity. Um, so the, the post-audit office, uh, the auditors kind of come together and make a recommendation of, of what questions, how, I guess how to frame the questions mm-hmm. so that they get to what, whatever the desired information is. is that, how, how do you guys go through that process? Well, the, this, the statute usually, in this particular case, most of our audits are not, are not uh, mandated by statute. Most of them just come through the legislative committee, post-audit committee. Uh, so these are a little unusual, but they are in statute. Um, and usually in statute, it's very vague. It says a study to determine the costs of special education or, or something like that. Um, so we have to translate this very vague thing that's sitting in statute and turn it into what we call an audit proposal. So we sit down, we write the audit proposal, we put a put the questions in there. Um, we also provide a little brief outline of, of what kind of work we would do or what kind of work we think we would do. And uh, that proposal is then sent to the post-audit committee. Uh, it, we usually send it for the April meeting. And then they have to approve that, that audit. So they can, they can say, yes, that proposal looks good. Go do. Um, and that's what's happened the last two years. Or they could also, it's also an option for them to go and say, no, that's not quite what we think we want. Let's, let's tweak it a little bit. So we can, we can do that as well. But the questions um, typically originate with us, um, but we try to make sure that we're doing the thing that the law says we have to do. So that's the primary purpose. And then we just take that vagueness and turn it into something a little more, more concrete. Great. Well, Heidi, we, we certainly appreciate your time 
all week this week. She she actually came and spoke at our our, our meeting on Wednesday, yes. and then spent all day at the uh, LPA meeting. and And you've kind of wrapped up a big, heavy season for you guys. It the is. December meeting's a big report out for you. It is. We uh, come crashing in at the end of the year, try to get a whole bunch of audits. I think we had five or six performance audits last year or this year, and a number of IT audits. So it, it's been a it's been a busy year. And yesterday's meeting was a big one. So we're all able to breathe again for the first time in a little while. Good deal. Well, thank you very much for your time, and and. We'll, uh, we'll be checking with you off and on, but certainly yes, we'll definitely. see you in April to kind of see what the proposal is yes. for that next round of audits. Yep, it's, that's when I would expect it to uh, roll out. All right, well, thank you. Thank you very much for, for tuning in. For more information, make sure you go to the KSLPA website. Mm-hmm. You can find a full copy of the audit available for you to, uh, to read and download. Yes. And uh, I, I will give a little plug. I don't think they're there yet. But uh, Legislative Post Audit is working on adding additional ways to provide that information. I hear tell of podcasts and possibly (laughs) even video in the future. I like what they're doing. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.